I'm most flattered that uh, I've been asked to turn the tables on, on my friend Sam Baluch. As you know, Sam has uh, been doing a regular podcast with some uh, fantastic guests. And the other day he asked if I would be uh, the person to interview him. And I'm most flattered to, to be invited, Sam, and it's my honor to do that. So, so jumping right in by way of intro, uh, I've known Sam since 2002, uh, when we first met at the uh, newly built Lake Success Fitness Center. And over the past 18 years, I have been both a witness to and a beneficiary of Sam's wonderful wisdoms, his wonderful ways, and his soulfulness. Uh, in Hebrew, we call it an ashoma, which uh, is a soul. And Sam has that kind of soul that oozes things that people aspire to and want to be around, uh, a kind of super strong soul. And I've seen this many, many, many times. Uh, today, Sam is the co-founder and CEO of Helix and Gene, uh, which is a very different kind of wellness company framed around my own observations of his personal philosophy of consistency of purpose, uh, his discipline, his absolute honesty in in specifically his long-term commitment to a healthful and to a meaningful life. And, and as I said, I have been a witness to this. I've been a beneficiary of this over the past 18 years, and my life is enriched by, by being you know, Sam's friend. So today I wanna dive into Sam a little bit and invade his personal space. I want us to be able to uh, understand what makes Sam tick and I've divided the conversation into two parts. Honestly, Sam the man, and Sam the wellness coach and the entrepreneur. So, so first, just to kick this off, my friend, I want to tell everybody that you were born on St. Patrick's Day, 1980. And that meant that on March 17th this year, you turned 40. And we had a big party planned, and everything looked like it was going to be fantastic. And as you know, I called you up and I was very concerned because it was the very beginning of this, the super surge of the pandemic in New York. We had to, we had to uh, cancel your birthday party. So firstly, I want to wish you a very, very, very happy 40th birthday party. And I, thank promise, you, you, thank you. <laughs> I, I promise you that, that we, will, we will celebrate uh, on two fronts. A, we'll celebrate your birthday and B, we'll be celebrating because we'll be celebrating the fact that COVID is behind us. Amen to that. And right. thank you, Gary. And it, it really is a true honor to do this with you when my partner, Dr. Ben Levy and Lori Graham and a couple of other people brought to my attention that, hey, you're a very private guy. You're not on social media. There's not much information about you. Um, we feel that people want to know who the man behind the mic is. And they said, you know, you should appear as a guest on the podcast show and, and reveal some stuff. And, and so everybody can get to know you. And without a hesitation, the first person I thought about to interview me was you. And because we have such a strong connection and we understand each other so well. And as a mentor and as a friend, I really respect and look up to you. So I'm honored that you're doing this. And, and I'm similarly honored and I could, I echo exactly what you said. So 
you know, Sam, your personal motto has always been train your mind and change your body, right? Yes. It is always about creating that mental preparedness. And, and you know, as you know, my wife, who is an unbelievably disciplined, disciplined person, uh, has always said that she's never met a person as mentally disciplined, as committed to a mission and a vision as you. And, and I deal with all sorts of people in life uh, from a social interactive friends to work environments and you still are that person who at the pinnacle of when you say you're going to do something you can get it done and that's you know from 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 competition to saying i can i can bench press 250 pounds and your physique should not be able to bench press 150 pounds <laughs> so so just tell me when you first figured out that you had a strong mind and how you were going to exploit that well, you know, I, I, I believe that it all starts from childhood, right? And philosophically, I believe that we all are blessed with a certain energy and a certain level of vibration when we're born into this world, right? And our souls are put here with a purpose. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to travel through a lot of different avenues to really understand who you are at your core and and what what you want out of life and i've really always i've always had this thing in me to ask questions about more what's out there this curiosity um that since i was four years old asking my parents about prophets and gods and what's going on and where do we come from and you know, how do we operate as a human being? And that led me at the age of literally five, I used to, and, and, you know, I grew up in the Middle East in Iran until I was nine years old. And, you know, that I used to make my father go up the block with me at the age of five and buy these pictures that they would sell these eight by 10 pictures in these little huts in the corners um, of bodybuilders and martial artists of that time. And I used to buy these pictures and come to my room and I would sit on the floor and I would spread them all on the floor and I would stare at them in awe for hours as to how did these guys look like that? How did this, how did the body get that in that way? And then when I started really getting more involved into Bruce Lee, that's when I started understanding, hmm, here's this little skinny guy who is beating up all of these guys, 30, 40, 50 at a time in a movie. How does he move like that? That's when I got into movement. And how, how, how does he create that kind of strength? And at that time, if you remember, it was very, uh, he was infamous for the one inch punch. And, and that got my curiosity going as to, how does a guy that little create so much energy and strength? And I'm like, okay, this can't come from the physical part of him, right? So where does this come from? And, and I think that was my first spark as to how do I train my mind to be able to push past anything and in turn allow my body to be able to do more and more and more. So, so let me embellish on that a little, right? So the first thing is that I think on a good day, you're about 5'4", 
<laughs> on a good um, day. <laughs> and you know, and and maybe I'm an inch and a half taller than you. And 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 people know that when now seeing people all around the country when they when they log into a Zoom meeting, just to see the simplicity of your movement and and the way you transition and move through different moves, you have that physicality. And this is obviously not something that that you did in college. This is something which you just pointed out was a passion of yours from, from infancy. So, yeah. now, so now not just about the physicality, the one thing in your strength is just unbelievable, pound for pound, probably the strongest person I've ever met. But also how that translates into your, into your mindfulness and how people perceive you. So I'm going to tell a quick story, which I'm sure you may or may not remember. But I, I had uh, two very good-looking nephews, or actually Jack's nephews, coming from Australia. <laughs> And, and, and they were at the time like 20 and 21, um, dying to have a good time. And, and I know that, that, that you could find us a good time. So you, you, got, us in, <laughs> you got us into a, a pretty fancy uh, nightclub in Queens. And yeah. you got us in and these boys were over the moon. And coming from Sydney, Australia, they, they knew how to drink. And once they started drinking, even though they were underage, they looked the part <laughs> pretty, pretty um, sort of testy with the girls. And I was standing there chatting with you, and all of a sudden you stopped in your tracks and you saw something, which is another one of your amazing sort of abilities is your, is your situational awareness. And you walked up to a guy who must have been the weight of you and I combined, and you said to him, if you touch that guy, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Look down at you from his six foot frame. And he thought three or four seconds and then he just quietly walked away. Now, in the normal sense, if I've done it, I would have thrown me through the bar counter. But just that, that commitment. And, and he knew that there was somebody who could take him down. And I know you've taught me how to grapple and you know, how, to, how to balance uh, your, your size with the ability to, to overpower people who are bigger and stronger. So this is the whole, this is what <laughs> Sam Baluch that I admire so much, right? And the, and the two, the two have drunk or mostly drunk Australian nephews looked at this and, and thought they're in some kind of daydream. <laughs> yeah. That's why Sam and I hang out together. Right? <laughs> so you yeah, remember, I, I, you know? I, I remember that night clear as day. And uh, you know, it, it's the, the key component there was the fact that I didn't have to touch the guy, you know, and, and, and that's the, the energy and, and the mental state that I always talk about. Right. To me, if you actually have to use your hands in that situation, you've lost. Um, so when you are able to, and, and this is about a certain level of confidence, right. That you have to have that when you step into a situation, whether it's an altercation or whether it's a business transaction or whether it's, you know, any kind of conversation, when you step in and you can exude a specific type of energy towards the other person and your energy is authentic and there's no wavering from what you're trying to, you know, convey to the other person, it lands very, very differently on that yeah, person. So, yeah, so I, I, I'm quoting the one instance where I saw you in a fight as opposed to fright or flight scenario. Yeah. Most of the other times that I 
and witness to your sort of mindfulness and, and your strength of character is in a much more positive, much more energetic, much more reassuring way. And, and that's yes. kind of the message that I want to convey. It can work in, in, in every aspect of, of how you interact with people. And just goes to my, dare I say, constant admiration of your, your soul and, and soul. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you know, that. But it's true. I mean, you know, so, so let's just talk, um, you know, a little bit about that secret source, which, which you are. And, you know, how I first met you, we, we were kind of casual, we were casual acquaintances. I, I wanted to sign up for fitness classes. Um, and there were three or four people, uh, trainers who were working out of Lake Success. And, and after a, a couple of months, you walked up to me and said, you know, your problem is you do not have consistency. And in order for you to make you know, the most of your life, uh, both in anything you do, but specifically in this, in this endeavor of, of being healthy, uh, you've got to be consistent. And funnily enough, I came from, you know, my father, my parents are very different. My mother's never exercised today in her life. And my father exercises four days a week, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, which are the four days he does not operate or did not operate as a surgeon. And that's what he did four days a week. So he was consistent. Yeah. I came to this country and, and, um, and was a little overwhelmed by the fast food and, and portion size stuff. So yeah. I became pretty chunky. I wanted to get better. And you resonated with me. You, know, you said you've got to be consistent. And, and that's when our relationship really started. Well, consistency is the name of the game in life, right? I mean, you know, my formula is consistency over time. And, you know, you have to have that implemented. But, you know, you also have to realize when you're consistently doing something bad. <laughs> and, you know, consistency can also be detrimental. You know, um, a one of my mentors that I've listened to for years, and, and, and God rest his soul, was a business philosopher by the name of Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn, you know, had a quote that he would say, disaster doesn't happen overnight. One bad action slowly done over a 30 year period wakes you up to disaster. And most people all of a sudden go, how did I end up here? And didn't pay attention to the 30 years of that one tiny thing they ignored every single day. And success, for that matter, happens the same way. One good habit done every day with compounded interest over a period of time equals enlightenment, success, happiness, and whatever you want to call it. So if you want to achieve something, you have to put in the time, the consistency, the mental framework to get there. And then once you've achieved it, you have to keep the same consistency in order to sustain it so the 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 i guess consistent <laughs> uh formula here is consistency because you know that's the key word here in any kind of success for me in life is understanding how to build that over time and that's the one thing that you know when i saw you you had a great frame and you worked hard and you were strong and you just weren't getting the results and you know, the only reason was I saw you there 
for three days, one week, and I didn't see you for three weeks. And then I would see you again. And, you know, yeah, and part of that was you had an inconsistent trainer, but, you know, it wasn't about the trainer. It was more about the fact that, you know, you hadn't made that consistent commitment to yourself yet. And, you know, here we are 18 years later and, you know, you're in your early 60s and at the top of your game and you finally have a six pack and you (laughs) are shredded and as strong as they come. And your consistency is that you get up every morning at 5 a.m., you hit the gym, you train hard, you do what you got to do. And you've really adopted that philosophy. But for me, it's really about getting people to find out there, there is a mental click, right? And, and when right. I said that to you and you remember it now, it resonated for you there, right? So, you know, going back to the philosophy of how do you connect to people, right? How do you get inside someone's head to train their mind so they can change their body, right? It's, it's right. about communication and language, right? We as human beings our level of understanding of this world only goes so far as our vocabulary. And what I mean by that is if you see something and there's no word for it, you don't understand what it is. So our understanding for whatever we see is only as far as our vocabulary can handle. And beyond that becomes mathematics. And that's what turns into the other language and physics and so on and so forth. But pulling it back down, you know, language is the key connector. You know, everything to me can be solved in communication. Any issue that you have can be solved in communication. And that is the language that we dance in back and forth, you know? And, and I, I, I think that is something that is so important in getting your message across. One of the things that people tell me a lot is, we really understood how you taught us this series or this movement or these words or these things. I, I try not to make it complicated <laughs> and, yeah. it, and it's about connecting with the simplicity and the sequence of the language. Right. And, and when I train people and when I've created my training philosophy, I've built it on the same platform of that compounding interest of consistency with the proper wording and the proper sequence back to back to back in order to be able to give you, something complete for yourself. So, so this is all, you know, everything's tying in here because when we first spoke about your observation of my lack of consistency, it spoke to the fact that we had a peripheral relationship. You would see me in the gym, but you were making observations. So you had that situational awareness. You then sized me up. And then you said just one simple thing, right? That suddenly was the trigger that made me reflect on myself. You created a mirror And then based upon that, I started responding to that. And part of it was, you know, wanting to prove you wrong and not wanting to disappoint you. And that comes from from real leadership, right? So when when you as, as whether you're a fitness coach, a wellness coach, an entrepreneur, a CEO, part of the issue is consistency. Your people who, who respond to you, must be able to predict the manner in which you are going to respond and you have yes. that consistency, right? Which is an admirable feature because it goes back to, to when you're in your early 20s, right? Yeah. And then also the fear or the concern for not wanting to disappoint you. And that comes from sort of the, your comportment, the way you, you 
reflect an image to to the world and, and that's i mean i've just got to say that that's my observation of what you are and then the next thing just to sort of go into what you were saying about how you create a language that people understand what i've noticed and we'll get a little bit into the the modeling of of how you had to change your you know your fitness training regimen yeah. but people come to a zoom class with you and i deliberately asked one of my my staff to come and sign on and they said to me had never met you and said wow what an unbelievable opportunity it was to do something that was not not painful it was it was not dangerous to her joints it was not jumping up and down and at the same time she had an unbelievable workout on a mat with three or five pound weights and that was kind of being able to to address the ability of 20 even to 100 people getting one opportunity to meet with you and that's almost that almost rises to kind of a guru level right where people say well we really enjoy this and we want to we want to get involved in this more and more so you know hats off to, to just how you've been able to do that and how you've grown this thank you i i really appreciate that and and that's a such a compliment and an honor and you know i a it's lot a of simple this, observations and it's not it's, it's no i i I, I do. I appreciate it. And I, and I know the authenticity in which you speak in. And, you know, I, I want to really reiterate, though, that, you know, a lot of this and a lot of that situational awareness that you talk about um, has to do with the way I grew up as a kid. You know, I mean, I grew up I'm the sure. first nine years of my life in the middle of a war zone. You know, I didn't have the regular upbringing that most kids have. You know, I was, uh, you know, I was an only child for the first six years of my life. And then my brother was born. Um, I lived in Tehran. I lived in a nice upper middle class neighborhood. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up poor. That's not what I experienced. Um, but what I did experience, and I grew up with parents who loved me and met grandparents and lots of love and lots of affection and, and fantastic life in that sense. But there was a crazy sense that I grew up with in um, understanding my awareness at a very, very young age because, you know, here you are four years old, five years old, and sirens are going off at 2 a.m. and your mom is grabbing your hand with your dad and you're going 20 feet underneath your building in a bunker and, you know, you come upstairs and there's buildings missing, you know, because you, there was rockets launched and bombs hit. And you grow up with a different sense of understanding and appreciation for life. But what that did for me was it really taught me how to control fear and anxiety. And, you know, and, and it, it allowed me to react really, really fast. And it allowed me to really be able to, you know, keep my cool in crazy situations. One of the things that I always uh, reiterate to when I'm teaching my system in the Zoom classes is that, you know, uh, find comfort in an uncomfortable situation. When you put yourself in a pose and you hold it and you're dying and, 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 and you're wanting to give up and you're wanting to stop, you know, if you can control your breath and if you can control and, and breath going back to is the only language you have that talks to your higher self. 
because the only thing that connects all of us together is oxygen, right? If the oxygen was taken out of this world, no human, no life, nothing would exist. So the breath is the only thing we have that actually connects us to that higher self, right? So when you are able to connect with that and you're able to connect with your breath and you're able to lower that that craziness within you, it gives you a level of calm and control, right? And I always say one of my favorite quotes is by Professor X <laughs> in when I used to grow up watching X-Men. And this was another one of those that just resonated with me when, you know, he, he, he says, you know, in, in, in the movie, he says, you know, true power so- relies somewhere between ser- serenity and rage. And, you know, and, and, and isn't that true about a situation in life, right? If you can harness yourself and it's a and and you can you know directly connect this to your chakras, right? You have seven chakras. You know your heart chakra in the center, being the center one. Your base chakras, the energy gets pulled from the bottom. Your your chakras from the top, starting with the crown, pushes its way down, and it meets in the balance in the middle, right? So somewhere between serenity and rage and serenity comes from the top rage comes from the bottom mm-hmm. lies you know where your ultraviolet is your 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 balance so in being able to connect all of those dots you know together philosophically over the years it allows you to create a better language a better understanding and be able to portray not just words to people but authentic words that you've been through that lands for the person you're talking to in a different manner. So, so again, so the next part of this is, you know, often this hype, particularly when one is sort of entering an entrepreneurial endeavor, starting a business, starting something, uh, the best and most sustainable organizations are always founded on authenticity. Those foundations, right? You have that, that honesty, that consistency, um, and coupled with that is, is, is that, that passion for what you do and the authenticity about it. So, you know, a couple of other things, you know, del- delving into the personal space of Sam. Here you are in your, at the beginning of your fifth decade of life, and, and I, I saw the, you know, the last three decades, you know, in your early yeah. 20s, your 30s, and now in your 40s. But, I want to I want to ask you a little bit about sort of your your mindfulness in the context of commitment, right? Um, and and let's talk about about competing. Like one day, you know, you decided that you wanted to enter a bodybuilding competition. Yeah, and I think that people who don't understand what that amounts to, this is not something you can go like week after week after week to different competitions. You have to set a, a goal. You have to pick. A competition it occurs on a specific date and then from the moment you start to that commitment everything has to be disciplined right and yes. there was a significant change uh, in you both physically and mentally uh, when it came to that and I, I felt that that was a time in which you you matured into into kind of the the person with the, a lot of the values that you have now and and when I came and watched you uh, was it the the in Tribeca, yeah. At the show, I remember you posing, and and people I didn't know it at the time, but the judging has all been done in in, in daytime, and in the evening yeah. they put on the display, and the judges announce their results. But but watching you do a pose, 
uh, one of which was a single-handed handstand where you you did a um, you know a, a, um, a flex uh, inverted that's just superhuman nobody else <laughs> on the stage could ever have attempted to do that you know being balanced and strength and flexibility all at once so so take me through what what it's like to compete at that level in New York and 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 uh, what it felt like you know, taking it to the level. I always look at that photograph of you in your office, uh, of you at that peak and, and how it's impossible to sustain that. Well, I started my fitness journey with martial arts and that's what really, I think, got my mind really to understand movement and understand energy and understand true strength from within, right? That chi energy. And... And the love for the anatomy of bodybuilding when I was young, you know, when I finally got to a place where I said, okay, you know, I was in my mid-20s and I, you know, I, I was building my business, you know, it was a couple of years after I started my business and I had just gotten out of a relationship and I was really looking to drive my focus somewhere and I've always wanted to do a bodybuilding show. And I said, you know, and I never really pushed myself to that extent. And one day I just decided I'm just going to do it like I do but with things, right? Um, I'm very right. impulsive sometimes in my decision making. But the, when it comes to making that decision, it's really not impulsive. It's because it's something that's been building up for years up to that point. The, the impulsiveness seems impulsive maybe to people but to me it's actually very well organized and planned in my head and and so i decided to do a bodybuilding show and the first show i did was for the inba which is a federation that is one of the best natural federations without utilizing any performance enhancement drugs and i prepared for this show for a year killed myself got myself in the sickest shape went off to rochester and I won the entire show. I won my weight class and I won every weight class and I blew everyone off the stage. And I'm like, okay, that didn't challenge me. <laughs> so I said, I need to step into the world of the real big boys um, and, you know, and see where I can play with in that field. And sooner, you know, soon I realized in that world, in that bodybuilding world, what I enjoyed most about it, Gary, was it was a journey of the self, right? In bodybuilding, there's no teammates. In bodybuilding, there is no counting on anybody. In bodybuilding, you know, when you're sitting at home at nine o'clock at night and your friends are out drinking and you're preparing for a show and in your 20s and you're, you know, eating uh, eight ounces of grilled chicken with a half ounce of sweet potato, with, uh, with five ounces of sweet potato and, and dry asparagus um, for the seventh time that day. That takes a level of mental discipline. And, I know. And, I saw it. Yeah. And, and what it did was I just took away from bodybuilding that you versus you, meaning me versus me world. And as I got to the national level and I won a bunch of shows in the NPC and, and, and I won overall shows in the NPC and I made it to the national level twice and reached top 10 both times, um, I, I realized real quickly that the bodybuilding world was just a step for me. 
and it wasn't my calling. And, you know, I took what I took from it. I closed that chapter and, you know, I, I moved on. But what I learned from it from a discipline standpoint was absolutely incredible. And I'll never forget in 2012, right before my son, Daston, was born, um, my wife, uh, who she is just the best and, and, and really supports me in, in, in unbelievable ways, which we'll get to in a bit, because I do believe, and you share that with me, in having a wife like that, who 100%. I believe is one of the most key components of success in life that a lot of guys miss out on. Um, you know, and I'm very blessed to have her. And, and, and I'm preparing for a bodybuilding show in Miami, which my friend and I are sealing bags of food inside, vacuuming it. And she's, uh, she's eight months pregnant with our son. I remember cooking up a storm in the kitchen, getting us ready. And we go down there and she's had to stay home. She couldn't fly obviously because you know, of it. And, uh, you know, went in, it was the biggest bantamweight show ever in history. There was like 65 national competitors. And, you know, I think I took six at that show. Yeah. My first national show beat a lot of guys and it was a two day show. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this was because of that. It was a two-day show in which I had to dehydrate myself. And I didn't have water for 36 hours while on diuretics inside of a hotel room, getting ready for two back-to-back -back shows that I had to show up on. And for people who have not done this, the state of mind that you're in from a physiological standpoint, and you're a doctor, you can understand this, when your body fat's at 2%, you're dehydrated and haven't had water in 36 hours, you're, and, and you're, you have to get up every couple of hours and flex and hold every single muscle fiber turned on. And you have to time yourself to peak at a level. And if you miss that peak by a half hour, all your work is gone to waste. That type yeah. of mental pressure will make you delusional. You start seeing things and hearing things. And that's, that's when I looked around the hotel room and I looked around a lot of the competitors gave out in those last 24 hours. They came that far and they stopped. And my situational awareness and my observation of what I saw of how these guys all peaked at the wrong times because they mentally couldn't hang in the last 24 hours, that's where I really was like, okay, I got something here. I yeah. understood my mental being and I said, okay, if I can do this, I can do anything. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I know because I was living through a lot of this with you, not, not as yeah. much, obviously tonight's ones, but, but to see, and the reason I wanted to bring this up in this podcast is that people think that bodybuilding competitions uh, are people who, who juice uh, and and stand there as muscle-bound people, but the right. work that has to go into it, and the timing and the preparedness, and it's just not physiologically right to have to dehydrate like that without drinking. And to right. put yourself through that in order to take home a trophy, it's it's the trophy is what you take away from that in your own head, and I that's think right. that's, and that's that's what you brought back from that, and you don't have to do that ever again because you proved that. You can you can punch above your weight those kind of people, and and I think that's kind of contributes to to setting the the Sam Deluge stage, right? 
Thank you. Yes, yes, <laughs> I did. <laughs> so let's talk about those things. So, so we, you know, there's this the sincerity, the authenticity, the consistency. So, so I remember when you got you got awesome, right? And yeah, uh, this little staffy. It was your first, you know, um, life possession, right? It precedes. Yes. Um, and and you train this dog the way you train your clients, right? Yeah. You you were on point with him. You were consistent with him. You knew what to expect from you. And I saw that. And you saw how this this beautiful little dog went through exactly the same kind of uh, experience that that we go through. And and that kind of reflected that this is how you run your life. And and. Uh, you know, you told me some sad news that that he's 11 years old now and he has a big tumor and yeah, you know that's that's life and that's and that's and that's that. and right and that's life, you know. And and, and as much as I'm going to miss him, and and Austin is such a huge part of that energy that he's put into my life, you know. And and I, like you said, you know, one of the things I learned real early was getting a pit bull, a staffy as my first dog. A lot of people with, with the negative connotations that's around these dogs were like, you want to have kids one day real soon with your wife. Exactly. You know, my wife had just, me and my wife and I just got engaged. We got him right when we got engaged and, you know, and, and everyone was like, what's going on. And, and I was reading this stuff about these dogs biting their owners all of a <laughs> sudden and, and, and all of the stuff and biting the kids and, you know, I said to myself, I remember Jim Rohn, right? Disaster yes. doesn't happen in an instant. It happens by ignoring little things over a period of time. And I realized when I got this dog that was just unconditional love at its finest, right? I said, yes. this, there is no way that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this loyal to the bone dog just turns around and bites you. It doesn't work like this. And he never disappointed in his home. Never, life, right? because I understood the detail in training him and not letting any little thing add up, you know? And, and that, I took that same philosophy into training him and being the most docile dog where my kids, you know, sleep with him, jump on him, pull his ears, whatever they got to do with him, and he just obeys. So, you know, I was always very almost envious that that you had a pet and your kids were born into the world with an animal that they that they love um my mother-in-law lives with us never allowed us to have a pet from <laughs> and and as you know just recently rachel overpowered us and 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 got a, a puppy and it just enriches the whole life so so let's talk a little bit about your kids so so yeah. dastin and dahlia are two exquisite children fortunately they take exactly after their mother <laughs> yes, they um, looks from her. <laughs> yeah, but but I will say that it, it looks like Dustin got the power from you, right? And he took an interest, or you showed him an interest uh, in lacrosse, and and so now this sort of is the next generation of how you prepare a child with the same mindfulness and commitment, and and you know you you share these anecdotes with me. Tell me a little bit about sort of teaching a child. Uh, yeah, to I'm, adopt a sport. I'm I'm really glad you brought this up because this is a such a key component in life, right? Right, and I want to preface this first by saying again, just reverting back to my wife, in that 
I wouldn't be able to raise my child the way that he is if her and I didn't have full compliance in, in the way we operate and the connection that we have in order to be able to provide the environment and space for him to be who he is, right? Um, we grew up in such a world where we were very emphasized on push, 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 push. Success comes with pushing in school and this and that. And, and it was like driven down our throats, you know, by our parents. And it took a lot for me at the age of 20 to say, I'm going to follow passion and not push to where my parents want to go and prove to be successful in life, right? But, so but I, just, I, just to pause yeah. for a second, though, I, I never got the impression that your parents pushed you to do anything. I think they... They gave you building blocks and then you pushed yourself. They did. They, you know, my parents were, were immigrants that came here that had to, you know, really fend for themselves and restart their entire life. They did the best that they could. Right. They always showed me love and affection, but they didn't, they didn't, they, and this is not to blame them. They, they just, they, they didn't have the environment to take me to games and show me sports or do these things that I can to my child. So, you know, but that being said, you know, when it comes to raising my son, you know, it, it's funny because everyone looks at him and, and they go, what did you do with him? He's, you know, we, we got an IQ test. He's in the 97th percentile in his IQ. He's handsome. He's, he's huge. I don't even, because used to be, you know, we, we <laughs> said I'm 5'4", I'm barely, but Tanaz, my wife's family, they're very tall guys, 6'4", 6'3", 6'3". So he took the height there, but his strength is just he has he's so and he's a hundred pounds already at the age of eight I, we joke around i was literally his height and weight in seventh grade he's in second grade but he carries a confidence with him um that i can relate to and and to me people ask me my, my wife and i what did you do with him i say one simple thing i ask him questions i let him answer and then i stay out of his way you know, in, 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 in terms of lacrosse, I knew nothing about lacrosse. You know, right. a good friend of mine um, whose son is best friends with my son, and these guys are, are a huge lacrosse family, said, you know, I think that son would be great at lacrosse. Okay, let's try it. You know, he put the pads on, he put the helmet on. This is a five-and-a-half-year-old kid. Gets out there with the stick, has no skills, but it's a physical game, and he's a physical kid. And he's smart, and it's a tough game intellectually. You have to understand a lot out there. And he just picked it up, and he's laying kids out left and right, and he comes back. I never forget this, this one altercation. He comes back to the sideline uh, you know, after the first you know, few times, and he goes, so I could wear this helmet and these pads. I can hit kids as hard as I want, and I don't get in trouble. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, well, within the confines of the rules of the game legally, but yes. And it's like eyes lit up, you know? And I'm like, yes. okay, you know, here, this kid's got something at the age of five here. And he is the kind of kid who gets up, he pushes me to work him out, to train with him, to wrestle with him, to do drills with him. And all the while, he's just as serious about his schoolwork. And, you know, that being said, again, it comes back to the team of my wife and I really understanding a philosophy on raising the child and being able to step away and let him make the decisions, get, let him 
get that confidence. You know, he has this notion that he wants to go to Duke, play lacrosse. And like, he's eight years old. You know, I never had any of this. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example. You know, one Saturday, my wife had given him his math work on her computer and he's doing the math stuff. And he comes over a couple of minutes later and he turns the TV on. I go, what happened? I thought you were doing your math stuff. He goes, yeah, you know, I really didn't feel like doing it today. I said, okay. I said, but you still want to go to Duke, right? And he goes, yeah. I go, I don't care if you go to Duke or not. I'm never, I'm not the one telling you, you I got to go to a school like this. But as your dad, I will tell you this. The kids who want to go to Duke, don't put that away on Saturday and go, I'm tired. I go, they pick that computer up, they finish their work, and they do a little bit extra. And he sat there for a second, turned the TV off, grabbed the computer, went to the other room, finished his stuff, and then came back. And those little points are the pinnacle points that I feel like in fatherhood, a lot of dads push their kids a lot. And I don't do that with my child. I, I guide him. I push him when it's necessary. If, if he's being lazy, I'm the first one to call him out on it, just like I did with you when you were inconsistent <laughs> and with everybody else that I do in life. But I let him be. I let him figure it out. And I think that's the key component here. Yeah. So, so go to a lacrosse game and, and uh, you're standing on the sidelines. Uh, do you see these, these lacrosse dads yelling at the coach? Or yeah. Yelling at the ref? Yeah. Um, I mean, doesn't that, doesn't that aggravate you and sort of send the wrong message? It does, but, you know, that's life and that's humanity, right? And unfortunately, I feel worse for these parents' kids than I do for the parents, you know, because that's what their kids end up learning. And my kid is the kid who, you know, we had a scrimmage against one of the best teams and they had lost to this team a week before and the kids were very mad that, that they lost for the first time because they have a very good lacrosse team. The week after, they were playing the same team in a tournament and this other team had this one kid who was phenomenal. And Daston plays center defense. Yeah. And Daston was, uh, he was determined that he was going to stop this kid and not let him score. And, you know, the game's tied 8-8. There's not much time left. And this kid cuts through the center. He's already scored all of their eight goals. And he's a big kid, too. He was actually taller than Daston. And Daston meets him in the middle, and you just hear a boom. And Dang. poor kid is out on the floor, <laughs> and he is, like, almost unconscious, right? And Daston's just standing over him, looking down. And first thing he does is extend his hand and try and see if the kid's okay, helps him up. And, you know, after the kid finally comes back and the coaches come in and get him up, he, the first one, he runs over to him, pats him on the head and pats him on the butt and says, good job, as they're carrying this poor kid out to the sidelines. But, you know, but that, to me, I didn't congratulate him for the hit. I congratulated mm -hmm. him afterwards for his behavior afterwards. And, and that is, to me, the gold in which you have to be able to understand how to acknowledge your child. My son is bigger and stronger than any kid three years older than him. I don't need to acknowledge that. Okay. No. That's there. What I need to acknowledge is that you don't need to enforce that on people. What you have to do is hold that energy and be love and, and be passionate and be friendly. And if that situation arises, be the first one to make sure everybody's okay. Yeah. yeah. All important lessons, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, so now, Sandalia, you, uh, 
We've been married 11 years. 10. Just, we're, uh, 10. This August will be 10 years. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and so, you know, just some, some funny stuff. I remember when we met, um, you, you had a very pretty Latina girlfriend. Um, <laughs> and so for people who don't know you, I suppose um, you would call yourself a, a secular Muslim. Um, no, I don't, I, I really don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't really push myself towards any religion, sort of say, um, I, I respect and love all religions and, you know, I, I'm more of a understanding my path and what, where my spiritual journey is. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, and that's a conversation that we can get into in a bit, but for me, it's really about, it's not so much about. I've never been able to connect to one religion, sort of say. Um, I've studied all the religions, as you know. This is my yeah. philosophy, theology is where my love is and my heart and passion is more than anything. I believe that's the cornerstone of life. And the more I study and the more I've learned, the more I realize there is no answer. So I, I couldn't point to one thing, but I respect it all. Yeah. No, that's that's how you've evolved, Sam. And uh, but you know, I, I remember, you know, the discipline that everybody needs. Sort of, it's just Eid was this past weekend. And really, you know, like like in the Catholic uh, uh, faith, uh, people people give something up for a month. People fast. People yeah. sacrifice in the name of, of of religion, really, just to increase their their awareness of. Of the soul and the function yes. of, of their, their religion. And we've had this conversation many times, and that is that formalized religions are often more destructive than they are creative. Yes. I mean, I grew up with a Muslim background. You know, I grew yeah. up in an Islamic household, not a religious one, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, but a nice reformed Islamic background. I've always been more of the kind to connect to the more mystic aspect of religion, you know, exactly. I studied Kabbalah, as you know, for a couple yes. of years, Sufism, um, and, and, you know, and Sufism is the part of Islam that I connect to. There is no right, there's no wrong. You just, uh, you, you, you read, you study, you meditate, you pray, and, and you see what feels right for you. And, and I think that's really the, the general basis here. And everything that I've created has that background to it. Yeah, and I think that defines you. I think the ability to, to extract the best of each thing you do, each book you read about different religions, how you incorporate yoga into your programs, uh, which has a, a, a centering uh, ability and, and just part of the mindfulness of, of how we train people. Tell me a little bit about uh, Daria, because she's a beautiful child. I've, I've had very little interaction with her. <laughs> The videos of, of her now dancing and, and how well uh, Dustin and Dahlia get on. And, uh, that, yeah, they have a, they have a beautiful know. relationship. Yeah. And, you know, I always say, you know, I'm, I'm lucky because my wife raises phenomenal kids. And, yeah. you know, she, she, is, uh, she is really the cornerstone of this house and, and, and these kids. But, you know, one of the things with Dahlia that's really interesting is, you know, Daston is a very by the book, go with the rules, like very black and white, you know, very logical brain. 
Dahlia is that feisty, wild fire. <laughs> like, you know, she's, uh, she's this beautiful little girl with dresses and all she cares about is makeup and looking pretty and being girly. And on a dime, if you mess with her, she will grab you and punch you in the face <laughs> like, like without any hesitation. And that kind of personality is very much like mine, I think, you know, in, in that we, we love and we're compassionate and we care about what we care about. But, you know, and then she's only four and I think she'll be able to control that impulse as she gets older, obviously. But to be able to get serious and, and get right into it. And she is extremely competitive as a little kid and, and so sharp and is always three, four steps ahead from a language standpoint. She asks you a question. She's already set your answer up with a rebuttal. It, it's phenomenal how she does it. I mean, it's, you're in awe of how this four-year-old just made you do a circle around yourself and, and got you to do what she wanted you to do. <laughs> she learns she learns well from her mother. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, because... That's right. Ten, yeah, you know, I've known Tanaz almost as long as I've known you. Um, has that serenity and that grace. Uh, yeah. The true, the true uh, compliment uh, in a marriage. And I think, you know, quietly, the, the dominant person in the family Oh yeah, she runs the show. You yeah. know, I, I mean, and I have no problem with that because she's exactly. my rock. She's my rock. I'm fire, you know, and and yeah. she is the only person who really can control that flame, and she does it so gracefully. And if I step out of line, she just like Dahlia will grab me and punch me in the face, <laughs> you know, yeah. And, yeah. In, 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 uh, in, in in that like, hey, 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 hey. Uh -uh. that that's not where you go you know and 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 it's her foresight into life and she's taught me more about spirituality and about connection and about forgiveness and about just that compassion and love of a soulmate more than I think I would have ever learned from anyone or anything else in life. And, and I'm so grateful for that. And that's yeah. a huge part of my daily success. You know, part of why I can work 15 hours a day on Helix and Gene and build this business and be an entrepreneur is because I don't have to worry. I understand that my household and my children and are being taken care of by this loving general at the house that <laughs> has every component well taken care of and if i never show up it's always good <laughs> yeah i i know that at uh, at work you know i get a certain amount of respect uh, which absolutely disappears as i walk through the front door yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and you just, and you just have to you have to succumb to that and, yeah. and acknowledge that you've got to do what you're told at home and, and and i like that model because sometimes i get a little bit lost in my own uh, sense of of importance and yeah that grounding at home and and participating with exactly what needs to be done in the house is an important component of which is grounded so, it really is yeah so um about an hour into this i'd like to switch gears a little bit because yeah we got to start talking a little bit about about you as a as a wellness coach and an, and an entrepreneur and and give us some insights as to how sort of helix and gene was conceived and why it is different from any other similar wellness 
program or app? Sure. You know, Helix and Gene was created on authenticity. I had always had all of this knowledge that I had put together in my brain. And as you know, you know, I've, we and I have talked about businesses and things like that. And I've always wanted to expand the business to a point where we're ahead of the curb and we're really are in an innovative world. And my brain was always faster than what technology could produce. 10 years ago, wanted to do something and we didn't have the technology then to do it. And today we do. And you know, what happened with Helix and Gene was my brother-in-law at the age of 28, Tanaz's Tanaz's brother uh, struggled with sickness and, and with the addiction sickness. And, you know, he ended up passing at the age of 28, about three years ago. And what happened was her uncle, who is the CEO of a company out in Silicon Valley, who's a extremely brilliant, successful guy was over my house and he was staying with us for a few days. And, you know, in the midst of all this craziness that's going on, I'm the one obviously who has to think straight and set up and prepare all of the accommodations in a 48 hour span for this mm -hmm. disaster that just took place. And, you know, keeping everybody's head cool and managing everything. I needed a break and, and I needed to get my head away. And, and I, and, you know, him and I speak and, and I said, I pulled him aside and I said, Hey, you know, let me ask you a question. I go, I need to get my mind off all this stuff for, for a minute. I go, I have a nice business. I have a nice house. I'm very comfortable. Everything is great. I go, how do I get to where you are? You know, and I realized the opportunity that I have a guy who has built a company that he sold to Illumina for over a hundred million dollars in my house for three days. And I'm like, I need to have a conversation with this guy. Even in the worst of times, I saw the opportunity to say, what do, what do, what do we do? Like, what's, how do I teach me? I don't mind doing the work. I just don't know what to do. So he said, okay, let's sit down on the porch and have a drink tonight and we'll chat. And that's where he mentioned to me, he goes, have you heard of genomics? Not sure. Study of genes, you know, whatever. Because what if there was a way where you could test people's genes and figure out through their genes what was the best way of health and well-being for them from a fitness, nutrition, vitamin standpoint? Hmm, okay, that got my motor going, right? And I said, okay, that sounds very, very interesting. As soon as this whole thing was over, I started, I started, you know, when I take something on, I started researching at that time, there was a couple of DNA companies out there. And I said, Hmm, this is great. This is, we can do this. My, one of my closest friends, Dr. Daniel Benelubi, who was also a brilliant pediatrician, who really has such a high knowledge of nutrition and, and him and I, and I was in his office. I said, Danny, what do you know about genomics? And you know, he said the same thing as me. And I said, I, you know, I said, Give me a week. I got a business idea. So a week later, Helix and Gene was kind of born in his office in Great Neck. And we, at the time, you know, uh, Tanaz, my wife, was also a brilliant woman who was in the finance world before this whole thing took place uh, and before having kids. And she decided to stay home with the kids now. The three of us really sparked together in a whole bunch of meetings and put together the groundworks for this company. And in that, what we did was, you know, we realized real soon in a couple, in a few months of doing this and creating our own 
genetic platform through Helix and Gene, where we test out your micronutrients, macronutrients, and we see what type of exercise and training best suits your body. This was all great, but then we realized this is only 10% of the equation, right? And we said, okay, if we're looking at this search that I've always had in me, right? This evolution of the human being, right? This, this well-being of the human being, right? Like, right. what does this whole thing encompass? And the DNA I saw was just a part of it. And for me, it was never about money. I didn't care about just selling a kit to somebody. I want a solution, you know? I want something that no one's done before, you know? I like that next level. So I said, okay, let's put this thing together. And little by little, this company formed itself and we took on Lori Graham, you yourself have been very involved with us. And, you know, the evolution of this company took its form and we created a phenomenal staff, you know, our director of coaching, Melinda Lamentia, our director of fitness, Denise Vanga. I got really high quality people to come in, understand what we're doing. And we developed an overall wellness that really addresses the mental, the physical, the internal um, aspect of how you can function as a high human being vibrating at a high level emotionally spiritually mentally and physically by gearing up your nutrition the right way by by a specific step and sequence and a discipline that allows you to clear your body through testing your body with your dna testing your body's food intolerance levels through a specific finger prick fit, fit test having the proper group to be able to analyze that assigning you a coach who is there with you for the support on a daily basis, who can really, really take you and not just give you a program and say, here, go lose some weight and feel better, but put you through an education that teaches you, okay, how do I get myself to be the best version of me? And that's how this whole thing came about. And it's evolved ever since, and it's evolving as we go. So it's developed almost a, a religious following, right? And I yes. Say, I say that because, you know, I, I go to hang out with my friends at the gym and, and, you know, in the context of Sam and his consistency, you are still the fitness director for the Lake Success Fitness Center. This yes. is job that you've had for the past 20 odd years. Yes. Or at least 18 years that I'm aware of. And you still serve that community so well. And I was hanging out with my old friends. I moved out of the neighborhood and they came and they said, wow, I listened to your podcast, my, my podcast, you and I. Uh, and, and a lot of people have engaged in the training program, the nutritional program with the evaluation that you and Lori uh, and, and Danny have set up. And just to see the transformation in people and not only just the transformation, and I'm, you say that I'm involved. I'm involved only in an advisory role. I have no financial yes. commitment to this. But the point is that, that the people who have committed to the program have learned not only how to eat better, but the consistency that has been the hallmark of how you train people. Right? And I think that, that kind of uh, resonates with me. And... And taking it to the next level has been quite interesting because in the middle of all of this, you know, we enter into a pandemic and sort of the brick and mortar 
face-to-face, hands-on fitness uh, is in a, in a hiatus. And yeah. the big, big question as to when that will be over. And I, I've got a feeling that people will not you know, want to engage uh, on a, you know, in, in large fitness uh, group, group programs uh, under one roof. And I think it's, a, it's an unbelievable opportunity for you to globalize this unbelievable program that you have. So tell me a little bit about what's been happening sort of in the Zoom world. Yeah, so, so it starts off by really understanding, again, how to find comfort in an uncomfortable situation, right? You know, exactly. here we are, we're, we're about to, you know, we've, we've pushed the company to a really nice rate. We've got a great amount of people who have gone through the program. You know, we're about to open this incredible 8,000 square foot wellness center that encompasses all of these things. We've sat down with investors. We're getting ready to take this thing on. We have one location already that's doing very, very well, right? I mean, here we are at our peak about to really, really take this thing to that level, right? And boom, this COVID-19 hits, right? And where, again, I take it back to that bodybuilding mentality in those 24 hours where people give up or my youth of understanding how to calm that fear and anxiety and not reacting, but responding to a situation. You know, I I dove deep into my meditations and, and I really grounded myself and said, okay, where do we go from here? Now that could have been a right cross blow emotionally, mentally, physically to someone who's been working their ass off for three years to get to that point, right? For 20 years, I should say, putting this thing together to get to that point. And I said, you get knocked down eight, you got to get up nine. So right away, I jumped on my high horse and I said, okay, where do we go from here? Because understanding the industry, I personally, I don't think that the gym industry will ever be the same again. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see things like orange theory, things like all the fads, right? All the fads are being wiped out. CrossFit, um, you know, anything that has to do with large groups of people inside one room. And then all the mom and pop middle of the ground gyms, right? The gold's gyms, the, you know, the LA fitnesses, what's going to happen is they're not going to be able to sustain this long-term drop with such big facilities and the smaller franchise places like the orange series they're not cash flow uh positive or they're 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 not they don't have the same um deep pockets to be able to sustain a year or two to be able to keep that business going so i said okay with all of this being crushed out before this pandemic happened what was our company right what was our what did we do, right? We were a concierge coaching program that really focused on autoimmune disease and issues through a functional medicine approach. Well, what is this COVID-19 pandemic, right? That's exactly what it attacks, right? So here we are positioned in a place where we're dealing with the issue. I had three clients who got the COVID-19 who were in seriously bad shape, who all called me afterwards and said, if I hadn't just lost 80 pounds on your plant, I would be dead right now. Absolutely. Okay. So to me, that is gold. Not because I'm sitting on a high horse, like I saved someone's life, but to be able to provide that type of knowledge and to be able to change someone's life to that extent where 
you can actually preventatively stay ahead of something that's out there, then, you know, I said, okay, well, not to capitalize on this from a monetary standpoint, although that's always a, you know, a thought in the process and business and anyone that tells you otherwise is inauthentic and is bullshitting you. So let me start by keeping myself authentic. Yes, this has to do with money as well, but it's not the driving force. The driving force is always what is the mission, right? And the mission is to, it was from day one to be the number one medical wellness center in this country. And now being pushed to a global standpoint to what we can do, um, you know, we had to think quick. We had to, you know, set up an infrastructure that was going to allow us to take this business virtually. So we don't have to deal with the day-to-day operations of a gym facility or any of that sort. And we were able to do this because even before this pandemic, our goal was to go virtual three years from now or two years from now. So the way we set up the entire system and its infrastructure to begin with was so it could be done remote from anywhere. And those things allowed us to stay really ahead of the curve now and turn this into these Zoom classes that you know we teach and you know, doing our programs through webinars and online consultations and being able to really, our goal has always been able to empower and teach the client about their body. I always tell people our number one program, Wellness 101, is is the best program on the market, okay? You will learn an educational crash course on your body and you as a physician who went to school and studied anatomy and these things can attest to that and not just you many other physicians who've gone through this can turn around and say in in a three-month span i learned so much about my body internally that i never knew before and how it works and functions so my story is 18 years we've known each other i've been reasonably healthy i've i've been consistent going to the gym with you for all of those i never missed a month yep um, and my one issue was in order for me to get the six pack i needed to fix sort of the eating part right the energy yeah. part and tidying that up and enter laurie graham who's an unbelievable you know, part of your team and she took me under her wing and yeah. she does everybody and transformed it so now i see the the uh the true fruits of, of the whole story. And and I drink the Kool-Aid, Sam. I think the other thing you said, obviously, is that opportunity favors the prepared mind, you know. So, yes. so you've been preparing for, for sort of virtual classes. And this is kind of, this pandemic has allowed you or forced you to accelerate it. But if you just look at, if you look at the, the, the Zoom classes that you have, it's set up perfectly for a person to have their iPad or their phone in one spot, you in one spot, and everything done on a yoga mat with light weights. And believe me, I burn 500 calories and sweating like a pig at the end of that. And everything is in almost a stationary, almost zen-like, yoga-like uh, yeah. thing. So it's, it, it's the system, you know, and, yeah. and, and the system that, you know, as I've evolved from martial arts to bodybuilding to powerlifting to um, doing yoga, you know, um, I've, I've been able to develop a system now that, you know, takes on the knowledge of the anatomy 
and combines the, the, the musculoskeletal system with your nerves as well as the energy points. You see, one of the things that I really have realized in my spiritual studies and connecting them to fitness, Gary, is that we don't talk about the electric circuit in the body much, right? And, no. and you know, it's always about your muscles and, and, and your joints and, and all of these things. And they're great, but, you know, and, and, and you need to hit those. And in this routine, what I've done is I've developed something that's non-impactful, injury preventative, and it has no running around or jumping. You're on one mat. And if you're a very strong guy, you're using three pound dumbbells <laughs> and the system is developed in its sequence. And by understanding your breathing, which again, going back is the language that you have to your higher self and connecting that to your central nervous system, raising the vagal tone on your vagus nerve that connects the gut to the pineal gland and then stabilizing your joints over a period of time you become a functioning physical machine and your nothing hurts your body's elongated it's stable it's strong and this has been my evolution of fitness and what i've yeah. realized now is all you need is a mountain dumbbells well i i just want to emphasize that this was not something that you created during this pandemic no 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 <laughs> i you know um you know jackie my wife myself we brought friends uh, to to your EBT classes, I think four years ago, yeah. when, when this started, EBT was extreme body training, exactly the same idea. You stay yep. in one position on a mat, um, and if you really wanted to do it in a, in the same room, it would be six feet apart, minimal minimal right. exposure, all of that. And we did we did exactly that, and it was just an unbelievable exercise in strength. Um, flexibility, but most important, having the, the, the mental aspect of you're going to learn to enjoy a downward dog for 30 seconds because this is going to be your relaxation pose. Right. right. And so that, that is kind of, that, that's what we learn. And no, nobody, no system, nothing in the world comes close to, to, to that, that program. So I commend you. I, I, I appreciate that. And, and it, is, it is a very... <laughs> If, if you are a time-sensitive guy, and which most of us are in this new world, and, and you have three half hours or four half hours or three to four hours a week to dedicate to your fitness, then how do you get the most bang for the buck? And how do you compact it all in while taking your wellness and your health and your injury prevention into consideration and that's how this whole system came about it's, it's it's understanding efficiency for your mind and your body at its finest yeah so clearly what, what we need to do just as the next step is to make this available to a hundred people at a time in different organizations so they can get free exposure to what this is and and see what what this has to offer and, and well that that's exactly right right so now with our corporate affiliation program is right. we are offering these group classes um and and these this system to corporations that can now give this away to their employees and really see measurable results in their mental well-being for productivity as well as their physical well-being for work and give them something to 
aspire to and, and feel good about at home inside of a community that actually cares. And then slowly relating those people and, and turning them over to making them understand how the inner workings go. You know, Lori Graham and I created this program called Wellness 63, and it's a virtual program. It's, it's eight webinars by her and eight webinars by me, which will launch uh, this next week. And um, it's, it's a 63-day program on how to decrease your body's inflammation and understand how to fight off chronic disease and chronic inflammation and pain through proper nutrition, supplementation, as well as proper breathing and movement techniques. And I broke this thing down into an eight-week progression, the system, to teach people to understand how done systematically over an eight-week period, you can transform yourself inside out by following these techniques, both what Lori teaches you from a nutrition standpoint and combining it with the meditations and the movements that I put together over an eight-week period. And this is going to be absolutely free for people and, and something for them to really download and take on. And then they, once they understand what's going on and they get this awareness of themselves and their body, then people naturally have the tendency, Gary, to want to learn more. And that's what we mm. want to do. We want to teach. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely drink that Kool-Aid. And, you know, as a, as a scientifically based professional, having conversations and reading more and more about sort of the ability to control the inflammatory process, nobody believed years ago that a heart attack was an inflammatory process. Right. But we now know that it is a dialing up of the inflammatory process within our arteries of our heart health. You know, COVID-19, the, the, uh, the cytokine storm was the patient's own excessive response, inflammatory response to, to the virus. And, and who knows whether your ability to control that can be enhanced but as you said earlier, obesity was one of the highest predictors of mortality in people who contracted um, COVID-19. And those patients who you controlled their, their weight and put them back into a near normal BMI obviously had a much better chance of surviving and indeed did survive. So, so hats off to that. I think we've had an hour and a half uh, of an unbelievable conversation. I'm going to ask you one last question. And that is knowing that you're a very informed person. What are the last two books you've read? And tell us a little bit about why. Sure. So the, the, the you know, obviously the amount of time that I have for reading has decreased drastically yes. with, with, with the business and two young kids and me such an involved dad and an involved husband. Instead of giving the last two books that I've read, I will give you the best two books that I've okay. read. And, you know, and, and you know, because the last two will not do justice for, you know, for understanding what, what, who I am or what we're about. Um, I, I, the, the best book I've ever come across is a book by a gentleman, Mayor Baba. And um, the book was called God Speaks. And it, this is essentially a book of scripture with charts and, and, and a complete evolutionary understanding of life and humanity and where we came from and what our next levels are. And if you really dive into what this guy wrote in, in the 50s in this book, um, you can really 
connect to where we are today and the evolution of the human soul that is going to push us to the next generation um, beyond just our physical capability. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not for, you know, I recommend reading about 20, 30 books before you pick that up. But, um, but it, that is by far the most complete. And you asked me about my religious beliefs. Um, if there is one book that I can point to that encompasses everything that any religion or spirituality has to offer, it's that. And he was a gentleman who um, went silent and didn't speak for the last, uh, I believe, seven years of his life. And all he did was write and, 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 and communicate and had a massive following and started coming from India to the West. He was, uh, he was, uh, he came from a Zoroastrian Persian descent and moved his, his, his family moved to India and, and he was a second or third generation, um, Indian. And, uh, and, and his teacher was one of the most famous, um, Sufi women. And, and, mm. and he starts the book by saying he has a zero connection or connotation to any religion, but same thing believes and respects it all. And, and he, that book really encompassed everything for me. Um, and, and then, you know, which, which really talks about everything that's out there in terms of understanding, you know, the mind, the body and the evolution of soul. Uh, and the other book that I, I, I will point to that I really loved and, and really connected to was a book called Immortality by Rav Berg, who is a Kabbalist. Uh, and he actually was the guy who started the Kabbalah Center in the city. That book really is a phenomenal introduction to the spiritual world and how it connects to science. And, and, and it's really where the two worlds meet. It's, it's, the, it's the best book that I've read that really takes both factors into play. And if you want fun books to read that have to do with spirituality, The Celestine Prophecy, The Alchemist, these are all really, oh, really beautiful books. great, great books that are fun reads. Um, so those are, that's, that, that's really the makeup of where a lot of my mind and my philosophy comes from. But... I will say all of that is knowledge where I gather every information and every situational decision that I make in life is a combination of the closest five to seven people that I have around me, you being one of them, your personalities, your energies, and all of these people combined together are really the makeup of me. And I always say to people, if you truly want to know who you are, look at the five people that you are closest to and you talk to the most and you spend the most amount of time with. And I'll tell you a lot about who you are in yourself. Well, I, I'm flattered you chose me to, uh, to interview you in this, Sam. Uh, I think that the people who listen to this will get a much uh, needed sort of boost as to... Uh, to what you're all about. Um, uh, I feel I, I always get to know you a little bit more each time we talk, and today's an exception. So on that note, I, I want to thank you again. I've loved every minute of doing this with you, and I look forward to seeing you in person pretty soon. Thanks, Doc. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Take care, man.